0: And the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. Since the 6th of January, we have been in the season of Epiphany, which begins with the story of the Magi, the astrologers or wise men from Persia who came to pay homage to Jesus. Uh, so our wise men went there at Christmas because they were still travelling. I'm not sure if they ever actually made it. Uh, Epiphany in the Orthodox Church is the date of their Christmas, the actual Christmas. So it's kind of our equivalent. And so um, Epiphany acts as a continuation of the Christmas season. Christmas is about when we celebrate God's love made known in the birth of the baby Jesus. And Epiphany celebrates the ongoing manifestation of Christ to the Gentiles as represented by the Magi, the wise men. It's about God's gracious love breaking into the darkness of this world. I've got to say since last Thursday when Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern announced her resignation, it personally felt like our world had grown a little darker and a little less hopeful. I feel like I need some of this epiphany light some of God's gracious love breaking into the darkness of this world. So we are offered this week the, uh, to help us into these themes of God's gracious love, the breaking, breaking into the darkness of the world, the ongoing revelation of God's love uh, to the Gentiles as well as the Jews. Um, we are offered this story from Matthew 4, verses 12 to 25. Yes, I did add a couple of verses. This story tells, uh, these verses tell the story of how hearing the news, of, on hearing the news of John the Baptizer's arrest, Jesus is spooked. Um, the Greek there uh, for Jesus uh, moving from being in the wilderness where he was being tested by the Satan, uh, it, it is almost like he flees. He leaves that place uh, to find a, a safer place, and uh, he returns to Galilee, his home, um, And but he leaves Nazareth, and he ends up in the small lakeside fishing village of Capernaum, in what had been the lands of Zef- Zebulun and Nephtali, a part of the world that for centuries had long suffered under the under imperial brutality and the consequences the consequences of poverty the consequences of hunger the consequences of constantly living on the edge they had been under the imperial boot of syria babylon persia alexander the great's greeks and their successor the seleucids and now the Romans. It is a place where for centuries people have longed for another way within breaking of God into the darkness of their world. And in this place, Jesus preaches John the baptizer's message of repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. And he teaches and he heals and then seemingly one day, randomly, he goes out and casts his net to see who he can find. And he invites two sets of brothers to join him, to follow him. Come, come with me, the message translates the Greek as, or paraphrases it. I'll make a new kind of fisherman out of you. I'll show you how to catch men and women instead of perch and bass. And seemingly, and ask any questions, they simply drop their nets at this first encounter dropped their place in their families and in their communities, dropped all that had shaped their identity up to that point, gave away any kind of the tenuous security that they had, and followed Jesus into a very uncertain future, leaving their father and their brothers and their families gobsmacked as they walked away from all they had been. Or at least, that's how we often read the story. And certainly some of the commentators I read, as I prepared for this, read the story in that way as well. But, well, I'm just not so sure. I'm not so sure about that. I'm not so sure, really, that's what's going on in the story. I know that's how we can read it, but I think there are other ways the story can be read as well. And so to do that, to offer some other ways of reading the story, I want to go back to that word, repent. A word that I've spoken about on many occasions. So one of the comments made about Matthew's description of what Jesus preached, repent the kingdom of heaven is near, is that he doesn't actually talk about that ever again in his Gospels. It's almost like Matthew talks about that to show the continuation between John the baptizer and Jesus and how Jesus continues on but also supersedes John's ministry. And Well, if our understanding of repent is some kind of moral action, turning from an immoral life to a moral or righteous or God-centred life, then that's a fair comment. Jesus doesn't speak about that again. But, as I have said repeatedly, that is not the only way that repent can be read. And, as I have said before, the Biblical Greek, which we translate with the word repent, Uh, is metanoia, which literally means bigger mind. And so, as I've said before, one of the commentators I've quoted on this says, we can translate this word metanoia to mean be of a new mind, or perhaps change your way of thinking, or most simply, wrap your mind around this. Repent, then, isn't so much about a moral action As gaining a bigger understanding. A bigger understanding of God. A bigger understanding of who we are. A bigger understanding of this world. And of God's desires for this world. And our place in that. And Jesus does talk about that. Again and again and again. And so next week in our reading we have... The Beatitudes, the first part of Matthew's Sermon on the Mount, and we are going to listen to those because that's where Jesus talks specifically about wrapping our mind around this, or as it's translated in the Common English Bible, change your hearts and lives, here comes the kingdom of heaven. So today we hear Jesus beginning that with the call of those first disciples. So, keeping that in mind, that idea about what repent might be, is Jesus randomly casting his net to see what happens? Well, I haven't fished for a long time, but when I was younger, I did a little bit of it with my cousins, first off, and then with some friends, all on Lake Taupo doing trolling on boats. And there was nothing random about what we did we weren't very good at it, particularly my cousins. But while well, we knew we had to go out first thing in the morning at dawn, we had to be on the lake. That was the best time. We talked to others about what spinners to use, and my cousins had their favourite spinners because they'd caught fish with those spinners before. And we went to places where they had caught fish before, or where they'd been told others had caught fish. And when I went out with some friends at the other end of the lake, again we went first thing in the morning. Uh, We had this guy done quite a bit of fishing, we used the spinners he recommended and we went to places where he had caught fish before. This was well researched. Nowadays you can actually go to websites about what kind of rods you need, what kind of spinners you need, where to go and fish on the lake and people will keep some of their fishing places secret so others don't go to them. There's a lot of preparation that goes into fishing. Fishing is not a random act. And I don't think the story of Jesus fishing for followers is a random act. I think there's a lot of preparation has gone into this. Because, well, Jesus is living in Capernaum. And Capernaum is a small fishing village. And Jesus has been teaching there. And he would have got to know the people there because it's a small place and you get to know everyone. And they would have listened to him teaching. And they may have had conversations about what he was teaching. And so the story we have today of the call of the disciples isn't something that comes out of the blue. It's built on a whole lot of interactions, a whole lot of preparation. And this is the turning point where they say, yes, they wrap their minds around this bigger understanding of God, this bigger understanding of the world, their bigger understanding of God's desire for the world and their place in it. And as I look back on my, old, my own life, as I think of the times of clear call I've had to be a priest, to be a Franciscan, to be the vicar of this parish, I can tell the story of when I accepted that call. For example, walking home from a healing service at St. Paul Simon Street up. Simon Street and then Grafton Road, and knowing with an intense certainty that I was being called to be an Anglican priest, and it sounds you know exactly the same. But what's missing from that at the same as those first disciples, but actually what's missing from that is about the two years of wrestling with that issue before that, the people coming to me and saying, "Have you ever thought about being a priest?" and me by me saying, Don't be ridiculous. That's a stupid idea. No, I do not want to be a vicar. No, I do not want to be an Anglican priest. No, that is not where I see my life going. Thank you very much. That's ridiculous. And, you know, stopping going to church for for half a year because I thought if I don't go to church, that surely will stop. Turns out not. So, I don't know about you. If you think back at the times of call... There are really times where we have had to wrap our minds around a bigger picture of who God is and who we are and God's desires for us and for the world. And us wrestling with that and finally wrapping our minds around that, repenting of that and accepting that call and beginning to say yes to it and living that out. Repentance is a slow thing. It is a slow thing while we gain that bigger mind. Like those first disciples when I said yes to the call to be an Anglican priest. I mean the church still had to say yes and that's where we get into some trouble sometimes because bishops don't always agree with what people are feeling they're called to. And that's, you know, that's that's how the process works, it is a process of discernment, but most of us have no real idea what we're saying yes to, just as those first disciples had no idea really what they were saying yes to and they would have continued to grow in their understanding of what that is about, actually the Gospels are about their growing ongoing, growing understanding about what it means to be a disciple, the book of Acts also is, is about Paul's and some of the some of the named disciples growing understanding about what it means to be a disciple. So we don't have any idea sometimes what we're saying yes to. We just know that we have to say yes and we have to kind of intentionally start wrapping our minds around that. It's important to remember that our core isn't something that comes out of the blue. Usually it's something that has been growing for a long time, something that we have wrestled with, that is built on the events that have happened beforehand. And the yes, really, is an intentional way of saying yes to continuing that journey in a new way. And I think that is what Matthew is inviting us into. Epiphany is about... The revelation of the inbreaking of God in this world in Jesus, God with us, and the invitation to wrap our minds around that to repent, to reimagine what life might be like those first disciples. So I wonder what have been those moments for you when you have said yes, and maybe, what are you wrestling with now? What is the growing sense of core? The growing sense of repentance that you need to wrap your minds around now—what might that be? So I invite you to turn around and um, have a conversation with your neighbours for a few minutes uh, about anything you've heard in the story, about those questions, or uh, you might just want to talk about what you what you'd like to have at morning tea. Okay.